0: Hello, I'm Chris Hudson and welcome to FIS's Freight and Commodity Podcast on Wednesday, the 9th of March. On this week's podcast, we investigate the impact of events in Ukraine on our markets, that being iron ore, carbon, dry freight, oil and the wet freight commodity markets this week. A couple of great guests coming in to discuss that. Again, we've had another week of witnessing on the news screens the horrors of war as Russia continued its invasion of Ukraine. Ukrainian President Zelensky addressed the British Parliament yesterday, the first time a non-MP has done so. He called for increased support and action from Western allies. More than two million people have now fled the war zone, mostly to Poland, as Ukraine criticised Russia for shelling civilians who were trying to use humanitarian corridors to escape the fighting. In response, the U.S. announced new sanctions, halting all imports of Russian crude oil products, liquefied natural gas and coal, with the U.K. joining, albeit with a phase-out period, to the end of 2022. This has, of course, had a dramatic effect on oil markets, which have been incredibly volatile over the past week. And now, questions are being asked about the extent to which this will impact other commodities and what the retaliatory action taken by Russia will be. Russian tankers laden with oil and products are roaming the oceans, unsure whether, when they arrive at their destination, they'll be able to discharge. For example, last week, 77 ships from the Russian company Sotcomflot were at sea, with one of their vessels, NS Champion, was destined to dock in Orkney in the UK, but was refused. In other markets, the enemy halted nickel trading after the contract rocketed above $100,000 a ton. But among all this other market action, there has been news uh, that FIS traded the first cleared contract futures uh, on the containers yesterday, trading um, a full Cal 23 contract on FBX 11, that is the China or East Asia to North Europe route at $7,900 per FEU in 120 lots total. So some good news there on a new market in a a commodity market, which has been incredibly volatile over the last year or so as well. So there is a lot to unpack this week. uh, But where have markets moved week on week? And we've got Kerry here who's going to be introducing us to the dry freight markets and iron ore to begin with. What have we seen week on week?
1: Absolutely. A bullish week on the Cape Size 5TC, which is $15,721 as of the 8th of March. That compares to $14,019 last week or 12% up. Panamax 4TC even more bullish, $26,031 today. That's up 17.9% week on week. Supermax 10TC, $30,062 today, up 11.9% week on week. Meanwhile, the iron ore also bullish. Uh, one sixty-two and a quarter today. Uh, that is up from one forty-four spot four, five last week, or twelve point three percent up on the week.
0: And it's worth mentioning these obviously Tuesday versus Tuesday, Tuesday the first of March versus Tuesday exactly. the eighth of March indexes. And moving on to crude, uh, looking at the FIS end of day reports, one hundred five eighty one last week. Now one thirty two twenty six up twenty five percent. Uh, Obviously, that has impacted on the fuel oil. SING 0.5% was 768.35. Now, 970.65 on the front month future, up 26.3%. The second biggest move, third biggest move on my sheet on things. We're going to get to the biggest movers later on. Uh, If you're looking at the tankers, obviously, again, another impact on what's been happening in the oil markets. Some significant movements after having had... A very flat st- um maybe year or so on, on a lot of those, mm-hmm. those routes there. T3C, the VLs, uh, that's down 17.7%, but it had been 58.82, now 48.41. TC2, 144.17 was last week, 188.61. That's up 30.8%. And the TC5, Arab Gulf Japan, 132.43 was now 199.29, 51.6% movement. Steels pushed up as well uh $1,102 on the northwest european steel up 13.5%. The EUA's look like they've hardly moved week on week, but later in the podcast we'll actually hear what's been happening in that market and it's been a lot more dramatic than the week on week indexes show there. And got to got to mention what's been happening in the base metal market as well. Aluminum moving up to $4,000, haven't been 3,400, copper moving slightly up to 10,800, haven't been 10,080. Uh zinc up to four thousand nine hundred, and the big mover of the week, <laughs> nickel, was twenty six thousand uh, dollars. Now, uh, well, on yesterday morning, marked, pushing but
1: over one hundred thousand, it
0: pushed above that one hundred thousand yeah. dollar mark, which has been absolutely incredible. And uh, lead moving to two thousand six hundred. But as I said, a lot to unpick this week. But starting with dry freight carry, what has been going on behind the scenes? Uh, there's a lot more going on. I think it's fair to say that actually, week on week. Uh, the price is just a certain movement, but um, especially with respect to the futures market, a lot more confusing and counterintuitive things actually going on behind the scenes.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And let's try to unpack what's actually been happening here. The dry freight market has had a, frankly, very surprising bounce, uh, particularly on paper, in the past week, which has perhaps exceeded the expectations of many people in light of the geopolitical circumstances. On the physical, capes firmed up last week following healthy demand from both basins and soaring bunker prices. Shipments out of Brazil were expected to pick up with better weather, and last week Brazil shipped a total of 6.5 million tons of iron ore, that's up 9.7 percent from the previous week based on data from IHS Market Commodities at Sea Service. Market sentiment was affected by the reduced commodity supply from the Black Sea region as ship owners avoided the routes, but. The tone did turn positive by the end of the week, uh, especially after major miners were seen active in the market. Strong fixtures continued to flow out from the Pacific market with volatile rates throughout the week. The key C5 iron ore route West Australia-China took a dive at the beginning of the week down to $8.65 to $9 for mid-March lake ends, then recovered to ten thirty by midweek, and despite a few wobbles heading to the weekend, was even rumored to fix above $11 on Monday. In the Atlantic region, robust Brazil shipments to China were seen last week uh, with iron ore moving uh, on the C3 route from Tubarat to Qingdao at $24 for early April and rumored $27 for late April. Market sources were saying to us that despite the firm rates from Brazil, it is still not attractive for owners to ballast out uh, from the Pacific due to those bunker costs. More on that in a minute. The Panamaxes were a mixed bag for the first half of the week, as many ships in the Black Sea region had to seek employment elsewhere. Market sentiment was dampened by the overall tragic situation in Ukraine. Uh, This was, however, offset by better shipments and higher bids for key routes surfacing elsewhere, which saw rates driven up later on in the week. Traders were on the hunt for coal shipments in particular last week, especially for Europe, that has had to seek replacement suppliers besides Russia. According to IHS Market Commodities at Sea service, uh, the coal shipments to Northwest Europe jumped 40% week-on-week to 2.2 million tons. Shipments from Australia and Indonesia further supported the rate, uh, while fixtures for North Pacific Round Voyage were fixed at, uh, fr- at the low level of $20,000 earlier in the week, then back up to $24,750 for lake end dates in early March later on in the week. But on paper... Let's look at that. The Capes have had an exceptionally bullish week given the circumstances with the front month moving up nearly 16% week on week to trade 29,750 value this morning on FIS Live, and Q2 even higher, well above 32,000 now. Panamax, interestingly enough, has had an even more bullish week, trading up 23% on the front month to 33,000 for April today, and similar levels on that Q2. If, quite frankly, the dry paper market was reacting logically and in line with the fundamentals, then the massive increase in bunker prices, which, as mentioned, had seen uh, bunker providers in some ports quoting over $1,000 per metric ton for physical VLSFO, uh, including that delivery premium, uh, whilst raising the voyage rates, which include the bunker cost, should really be forcing down those time charter rates, which more clearly represent the value of the vessel itself without the bunker cost.
0: And I think it's fair to say that those fuel oil costs, if you're looking at what's happening in the US with the ban, whether the UK, uh, it seems unlikely the EU is going to follow. But with points coming out, and I guess we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit more yeah. on, on the oil later, that's a significant consideration that the dry freight market is going to have to take into consideration for a while now.
1: Absolutely. And you're already seeing it squeeze owners. Hence, we're not seeing enough capes ballast from the Pacific, even with rapidly rising rates, you know, out of Brazil. Um, because it's simply not attractive. Those voyage rates may be going up, but the time charter rates are not. And and this is where it gets interesting. Um, You know, on top of that, you know, we've got to look at the overall loss of, let's say, circa 700 dry bulk loadings per month out of the Black Sea, the majority of which should be on Panamax and Supermax, and therefore should further be exacerbating these short-term pressures, I think. Um, You know, it's fine to say, okay, in the medium term, we have healthy grain demand from South America along with replacement cargoes for some of that Black Sea grain that's gonna to have to come out of US Gulf and South America to make up some of that shortfall. Um, and yes, you've got growing Indonesian and Aussie coal exports that should help to lift rates again. But, you know, instead what we're seeing here is is, is time charter rates across the larger vessels simply being bid up across the front month and quarters, seemingly chasing the oil, I think. Um, Despite the fact that in more normal times, ironically, the oil price and time charter averages should really move almost inversely.
0: Yeah, that was a strange impact. It seems that the, the oil has been very sensitive to what's going on and has dragged many other commodities with it. Um, something that I guess will is is very evident again in what's happening in the carbon markets, which is uh, we explore later on with Theo, that actually it has no bearing on the fundamentals going on. Exactly, yeah,
1: exactly, and, and that's what we're seeing on freight as well. You know, I don't want to call it a panic because people may have their views and those views may be, you know, fairly convicted, but, you know, I, I have to say that, uh, that it's unusual and it doesn't really bear on the fundamentals at all at this point. Um, you know, given the extreme turbulence in global markets, it's very difficult to make any calls right now uh, on what's going to happen on freight, uh, and I'm certainly not willing to. Um, In the short to medium term, the market is clearly operating on the assumption that the grain, iron ore, and steel cargoes ex-Black Sea can be replaced with alternate sources that will not reduce ton mileage overall. In the longer term, though, almost regardless of what happens now uh, in terms of the the actual situation on the ground and the war in Ukraine, it's very hard to imagine Ukraine having a normal planting season this year uh, in terms of their, their crops. And come autumn 2022, the loss of that crane from the Ukraine will be felt, without a doubt, globally, and very likely in the freight markets as well, and I, I do think that's worth remembering. Um, you know, you can replace some of those other cargos in terms of the 44 million metric tons of iron ore, for example, that the Ukraine exported uh, last year. I suspect that can be replaced from incremental increases elsewhere. Coal demand will likely increase, especially from Europe. We're already seeing that, uh, given the spiking oil and gas prices. But that potential loss of this year's ukrainian grain harvest should be high in people's minds i think
0: and other connected things which might not necessarily be the first thing that come in, comes to mind um think about fertilizer russia is a significant exporter of, of raw materials to creating fertilizer and knock on effect if you as you said kerry the the point of ukraine and russia being a significant proportion of grains absolute exports uh, as well and, and
1: and you know that that wheat all of that wheat from Ukraine and from Russia is simply not going to be replaced elsewhere. So you know, aside from the the unfortunate global implications for that over the coming year, food-wise and food security-wise, you know, I think it's worth bearing that in mind from a freight market perspective as well and start thinking about that.
0: And as we've touched on some other products, it's probably worth moving on to some of those as well. So oil, of course, has been one which has been hit dramatically with the events which have been happening. We've seen the highest prices since 2008. And just to put a little context for people, on what's uh, the kind of situation, Russia exports some seven million barrels a day of oil, is a significant producer for world oil. And with that huge volatility, all the questions now of who's gonna be able to import, export, whether there's an official ban or not, because it seems to be a lot of unofficial statements from companies uh, and countries as well to go, well, actually, we we don't wanna be part of... That's
1: been a very interesting trend, hasn't it, Chris?
0: And before, it it, it completely... um, came in before or anything official as well which yeah. is definitely a, I that's probably not what a lot of people thought was gonna happen and then shell came under a lot of criticism for their taking of Russian crude oil which clearly they took because it was at a huge discounted price of like 20 something dollars a, a barrel which they took it at. so they came under huge criticism for doing that as well uh, on things and the the point is that if Russia's 7 million barrels a day cannot be replaced uh, and uh, pressures being put on other oils um, Producers OPEC yeah. seem unable or reluctant to to kind of bring that forward. They say they don't have the ability to do that, and that may be true of a lot of investment which is happening when we had that low price a couple yeah. of years ago.
1: True, although desire probably plays a yeah, part I mean, that too. I mean, if you're an oil producer, <laughs>
0: hundred and something a barrel is um, desirable, as you say. But um, and then the US now courting countries like Venezuela to of bring up those supplies uh for things the news came out yesterday that o- russian oil makes up about eight percent of uk's imports so th- this is not major but for a lot of these countries it's a significant portion which they're going to have to deal with uh, on things uh, and whether this goes any further what a, what's what's the retaliatory action it, it, exactly you know we we've Nord already
1: threats to, uh, to 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 clamp down on Nord Stream one so we have to wait and see uh,
0: i think it's probably highly unlikely that um the eu especially germany is going to be making anything about officially banning things, but it seems that their announcement recently is their draft plan to divest away from oil dependence, especially in terms of uh, of Russia, and that's going to be completely removed by 2030 in the draft plan, as well as UK. So another thing to to look forward to, a much longer term perspective of, yeah. of changes in the patterns of where oil comes from, where it goes, and how much we're using. And then moving on, obviously, this has had a great impact for the, the wet freight markets, the oil tankers. Oh, yeah. too, with the immediate effect of the conflict, was a 66% move up on the front months on the TD-3C. So obviously the, the very large crude carriers there. Yeah. Moving, 22nd of March was 34.5 world scale, moving to 57.5. <laughs> um, it did yeah, correct down again, but um, that uncertainty of crude supply um, has meant that they're in demand on, on those, those, those vessels there as well.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're going to see that continue, I suspect. I mean, Arab Gulf to Far East is, uh, is, is that key route there. Um, and, and, and the Asian countries are certainly looking at this with their wary eye as well.
0: And then moving to the product side side on the the clean routes, um, particularly TC2, TC5, TC14. So TC2, TC14 being uh, transatlantic and TC5 being Arab Gulf to Japan. Uh, Increasing on front months uh, and improvements seen throughout the curve there are also because of the ban on uh, Russian oil leaving um, (laughs) supply gap potentially in in Europe, uh, UK and US. US definitely there. Um, But... It seems that this is going to be something which is rippling through these markets for for a while now, as long as that continues, as long as these informal, um, well, we're not going to be involved with with Russia and their supplies, this is going to be volatile. It's going to be what's going on. I'm not sure. And as we introduced at the start, they got a load of vessels going around completely unsure whether they're going to be able to discharge or not.
1: Well, exactly, exactly. And, and and does that take more supply offline if they're unable to discharge for a while? You know, this these are the things that people are analyzing right now.
0: And, and and with those inefficiencies coming forward, in, in essence, you're gonna be in potentially increasing sea ton miles as well. And what that exactly. does to, see, to freight levels, it seems rather logical for those to just continue to up and board or simply be well-supported. E-
1: exactly, short-term, it does look like well-supported. I mean, look, any routes involving Russian ports Black Sea or Baltic have gone ballistic. Owners are worried that in case of sanctions, no one wants to load and be stuck with a cargo of Russian oil or refined products, for that matter. Um, Certain countries have now banned Russian vessels entering ports, as you mentioned. So should that contribute to a tightness in the supply of tonnage? Um, Let's see. Let's see. Um, But yeah, I I do agree. Um, and whilst the USA does not rely on Russia for crude, they import a lot of refined products from Russia. So that will need to be provided from elsewhere. No definition as of yet where elsewhere means.
0: Yeah, well, maybe it's his uh, best friend in Venezuela being able to do um, it. but.
1: But the real story this week as well, on um, base metals. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> the London Metal Exchange descended into chaos this week as the situation between Russia and Ukraine compounded the already low stock environment and high pricing volatility. Some metals, one in particular, soared to all-time highs as banks and other key market players slashed their exposure to Russian metal suppliers, hampering liquidity across the complex. This lack of liquidity has led to a relatively unprecedented short squeeze in nickel. Uh, That is, for those who who may not know, a key component in EV batteries and as well as in stainless steel um, and a major factor in the general transition to cleaner energy. Um, The only comparable situation that I'm aware of dates back to 1985 where LME traded tin ended up being suspended for four years after a short squeeze of its own. I know that the LME and all of its constituent participants do not want to see that four-year ban, <laughs> four-year suspension repeated in this case. Um, in terms of the price of nickel, uh, after closing just under 29000 metric per metric ton on, on Friday's curb, incredibly three-month nickel, uh, the three-month nickel price, I should say, traded up to $101,365 per metric ton on Tuesday morning. The LME took the decision to suspend any further nickel trading for the rest of the day around 8.30 a.m. and later proceeded to cancel all trades which had been made on tuesday the 8th from midnight onwards although there was some retracements of the big moves in nickel it's still an incredibly volatile movement uh, an incredibly volatile market it was an amazing scene to witness um and you know it should be noted uh, trading remains suspended for the moment Uh, i believe chris you had mentioned that uh, perhaps they're looking at friday now for a restart We'll have to see, yeah, we'll meant we'll
0: monitoring the situation on things, but um, um, I actually have the graph in front of me and <laughs> this goes back to 2001, and you can see it bouncing around under $20,000 metric ton, um, for most of that 2001 to 2022 range, apart from a pop just, what was that, around about 2007, 2008, so it probably makes sense in terms of the rest of the financial crash and everything, where it did pop above 40,000, and then just a miraculous upward line Yeah. Directly vertical,
1: up vertical, <laughs> and uh, um, rarely, if ever, seen anything like it um, for sure. Um, you know, although the fundamentals do lend themselves to a bull market, such a move can't be explained by fundamental factors alone. Uh, Bloomberg reports suggested that the LME allowed China Construction Bank more time to reach hundreds of millions of dollars that they had in margin calls on Monday alone. Uh, which tells us that one of its clients was likely the big short, if you will, of the uh, of the metal in this squeeze. Um, but, you know, time will tell. Uh, time will tell what the positioning looks like and uh, and when the LME is able to restart trading.
0: Yeah, like markets we were about to go on to, it seems that that, that big short position has said goodbye. And, and everyone's <laughs> going, well, where do we go next? Yeah, exactly. To, to the moon um, in terms of nickel market is definitely true. Next, let's hear from Hao our analyst from our Shanghai office, on some of more detail about the impact that's uh, been felt in the iron ore markets for the last week.
2: Iron ore was not the superstar product if compared with nickel crude oil and the coal. But we've experienced uh, 20% of the growth if we're looking at April or March contract from February 28th to the early this week, which mostly linked with this concerning of supply and caused by the geopolitical tension and China and Japan actually are looking for alternative non-Australian Brazil sources, for example U.S. and Canada. However, no certain answers were heard, not even the lakins. The structural shortages are the Ukra- uh, Ukraine pelletizing ores and the high grades, which are generally used in U.S. and European countries. However, there are a lot of market sounds saying that the difference of SGX and DC spread are widened to $45 in March 7th, Uh, even slightly correct to around $40 on Tuesday and Wednesday. However, this level is a historical high level, even when the iron ore price was above $200. Since the difference should be um, within the range from $5 to $20 in 95% of the confidential level, physical buyers have earlier noticed this difference and stopped buying seaborne iron ores. 70 to 80% of PBF are bought on ports. Major seaborne trades are discount sources, including Yandy fines and, uh, and MAC fines. We are expecting narrowed narrow uh, down on this extreme difference. In the near futures. However, also cautious on the timing issues because arbitrary windows potentially stay wide for weeks or even months. Because SGX iron ore has more Western buyers, they, they uh, simply use it to hedge for the lack of iron ore supplies, including 62 grades, higher grades, or palleti- uh, uh, palletizing ores. However, on DC on the other side was rather calm because it was linked with a speculation control from the government, as well as increasing scrap usage, as well as the uh, growing up inventories on the port. Well, um, MB65 versus Platts62 difference recovered from 25. To $30 again, supported by the high grade ores and pallet uh, supply problems from Ukraine. And this spread uh, potentially minting in this level unless the supply from Ukraine are recovered or some alternative sources or increments on the high grades and pallet supply from other countries. Downstream market in China completely reopened after winter Olympic games observed by China's utilization rate in, uh, increased to 75 level, 75% level, which is a normal level over the entire uh, year 2021. In general, I think the fundamentals are resilient, which provide well support plus a structure shortage also provide well well support to the iron ore prices currently however the downside risk is if the wartime time shift into peace talk and went on well all of a sudden commodities could correct massively iron ore is obviously one of them
0: after carbon prices collapsed 30% in 2 days last week it seems the bubble of endlessly rising carbon emissions prices has burst to explain a bit more about what's going on we of course talked to Theo about the emissions market
3: it has been quite a ride, mate. Um, the emissions market, the E-way market, is what we're probably focusing on when we're talking about this uh, this drop, and that's that's been caused um, from primarily, I believe, very strongly uh, from the moves in the uh, TTF, the gas market in Europe. Gas market has has been a absolute explosion of prices. I mean, the volatility is off the charts, never seen before. A couple of days ago, prices went from €230 per megawatt hour up to €330 per megawatt hour and then back down to the mid-200s. So that that 10-day volatility must be, I don't even need to chart it, over 500% now. The market has never had a more volatile day. Now, when it comes to that, you've got to understand that these traders have got some sort of hedge against something. So it's risk on, risk off. Now, um, when it comes to that, I imagine it's what's happened is that a lot of these gas trades have been margin called and they've got to exit something else and what they've probably got to uh, hedge against that is the EUA market and that's where the, the selling has come in. I think I strongly believe that there's, you can take fundamentals and put them to the side right now and don't even bother looking at them. apart Of course, the obvious stuff because the the volatility of movements and the exaggerated volatility of movements has got got to do with margin calls and positioning. Initial margins would have been increased from from exchanges. Uh, It's just all absolute chaos and that's where we're getting these moves. And
0: what about the kind of impact of what's happening in Ukraine? That must also be having uh, an impact on these markets like so many other commodities.
3: It does but like when when you look at it, of Course, it does for the obvious reasons. we do going to go into those every headline, every newspaper, everywhere you read will give you the answer to that. But if you look at the um, like for example, the last let's call it you know 14 days of, of physical gas flows from 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 Europe from uh, Russia through to Ukraine into Europe, they've been steady at 100,000 uh, 100 million metric tons per day. Doesn't mean any really change, so it's. It's not the uh, it's not the, the short term fundamentals that are actually impacting this because gas is flowing through. I'm not even sure what temperatures are, but we're we? we're in March now. It's got to do with the the along the uh, what people's sentiments are going forwards. How long can this continue? When when will it end? What is the impact going to be? What are these sanctions going to do? Those are the implications that people are betting on. On top of that, ad, of course, like I just said before, the just your your margining and your requirements as a trader and your limits being uh, in jeopardy and exploding and risk coming down on you, all these things coupled together, uh, it's just caused that chaos. But it's not got to do with no one switched off the tap, so to speak, overnight. The tap has not been switched off no matter what anyone, anyone thinks.
0: And then think about it. This has obviously been something which has happened quite considerably and dramatically in the, the EUA, the compulsory European markets. And are we seeing a similar thing in, in the voluntary side as well?
3: Yeah, I mean, just to um, finish off in regards to that, I mean, now that the, now that the, after a few days have decided now, I mean, you can see the gas has um, come off now from dizzy heights of like, we said 330 only yesterday, uh, closed, settled yesterday at 205, that's euros per megawatt hour. And now, before I jump off my desk, it's trading at 177 per megawatt hour. On top of that, the U. A. market, you know, was trading at sub 60s per ton, euros per ton. And as I jumped off my desk, it's at seventy-three euros per ton. So we're back up again. So um you can see that there is there is the that idea about we going fundamentals versus what actually is really happening and, and trading implications on, on businesses and, and risk management, et cetera, et cetera, are the reality of why these swings are actually happening. Now moving over to the voluntary carbon market, that's actually been that's been correlating, I guess, to an extent with the UA market, again for that same reason. I mean well, the reason is that people are just taking risk off. Uh, they're just, they're, they're, they're um, selling off because they actually probably need to, to use their margin somewhere else or God knows what. So that's why the EUA market, again, it's not a fundamental, there's no fundamental change. I mean, I, I can give you an argument right now that fundamentally, if we continue this way, there's going to be more requirements for, uh, for voluntary carbon credits for people to achieve their goals. There's going to be more requirements for EUAs because there's going to be more pollution because there's going to be, be more use of, of coal. So fundamentally, my argument is bullish. <laughs> no but yeah, no one's going to believe me, are they, on the, on the voluntary carbon market currently. So on the voluntary market, for example, the December 23 contract, it was trading from, uh, I don't know, 13, 14, a few days ago, now trading at $11. Now, that's US dollars per tonne. And that's the contract that you can actually uh, that against your uh, your physical credits that are from vintage 2018 onwards, which are the ones that are currently most I guess uh, in demand. Now that's come off a couple of bucks, and I guess there are a few things there because it's trading against the December 22 contract, which is which is the the spot contract to an extent, and that's come off. But now it just seems like what people are doing is they're actually unwinding their long positions and going and, and, uh, and shorting the 22 and buying the 23. So the spread's starting to actually uh, widen. So I think we first talked about this a couple of months ago. We were saying, well, $1.20 is pretty good. And we probably, uh, at the time, I think we were saying, like, it's probably like you probably get, get a bit higher than that. Well, it's actually already gone to 3 So I think people are actually taking their 22 positions off and going to the 23 positions at these sort of levels. It probably could be arguably a buy. So it's actually it's quite quite an interesting um, time at the moment because I also in at FIS, we also deal in OTC voluntary carbon credits. Now you know, for it was ghost town for about a week or so, and then all of a sudden now I've got buyers looking for uh, projects in uh, in renewables, projects in biomass, like looking at older dated uh, projects. Some people are going, well, this is time to actually buy now. So the conversation is becoming quite interesting in the voluntary carbon space as well. So. It's all coming back.
0: So I guess to kind of review it all up together, it has been the the wall pulled over the eyes of everyone with everything that's going on. Somewhat more of a, a panic in what's going on. Completely, completely cut off from what's actually the fundamentals and the ideas which are going to go on more longer term.
3: Absolutely, you've nailed it. It's it, it is it's all panic. That's what it is. Uh, it's headlines. Tra- it's trading headlines. It's uh, there's a lot of panic. And if you stop and and slow down and look at your fundamentals. And you want to trade again using those fundamentals. You've got to look very closely at exactly what's really happening out there. And consider also your short-term versus long-term views because they they are no no longer correlated like they were uh, prior to this major event. That's it for this week
0: in the freight and commodity markets. Thank you to all my guests this week for their insight on what's been going on in the most volatile of volatile weeks. If you want to stay up to date with everything going on, then do sign up to our app, FIS Live, or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Join us again next week for more analysis and insight, and have a great end to your week.